Welcome to Pushing Beyond the Obvious, and I am your host Mukesh Gupta, author of the world's first business poem, Your Startup Mentor. This is a show where I bring you ideas and insights from some of the best minds in the world, so that you can be a better entrepreneur and grow your business. Today's episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious is brought to you by Skillshare, an online learning platform with over 18,000 plus classes on business, marketing, technology, and many more. Get two months of Skillshare for free at rmukeshgupta.com/learn. One of the courses that I recommend to every entrepreneur to learn from is the one taught by Simon Sinek. He teaches a class on presentation essentials and is so very good. While you are there, you could also try out the class that I teach, which is on how to rock your next brainstorming session. You can find my class at rmukeshgupta.com/brainstorm and get two months for Two months of Skillshare for free at rmukeshgupta.com/learn. Hi, Liz. Thanks for taking time and talking to us today. Happy to do it, Mukesh. <laughs> okay. So, for people who don't know you, can you just quickly introduce yourself, the body of work that you have done, so that people can put everything else that you say in context? Yes, of course. So, uh, my work, my professional work, is as a management consultant and business coach. And I work with all kinds of organizations, um, very large, mid-sized, nonprofit, but on the kinds of issues that are thorny and complicated and get in the way of the work being done. And most of what I do, and it's part of why I like the name of your podcast, most of what I do is look for what's not being seen. Listen for what's not being heard. Get underneath the problem so that we can tease them apart and and get everybody back to good productive work. Interesting. So, how did that come about? I mean, I understand that uh, someone wants to work on uh, 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 you know uh, areas of business where you know you want to do marketing, you want to do sales, you want to help entrepreneurs do uh, good stuff. But uh, conflict resolution seems to be a tough area to be in because of the simple fact that you know it is tough to resolve conflict, and it is there everywhere, all around you. But still, uh, I mean, despite centuries of uh, uh, you know human uh, evolution, we still are not good at uh, resolving conflict. So why choose an area which is so difficult? Uh, that is the first time anybody ever asked me that. It's such a good question, and it was really an evolution. It's not that I picked that in the beginning. Uh, I came out of a call center environment. I managed a 300-person call center when I worked for an agency, and. Uh, when I left the agency and started consulting, so of course I did the kinds of advising that I had actually worked on: call center management, customer service principles and policies, those kinds of things. But over time, everything that is wrong in an organization ends up in the call center <laughs> because it all has an impact. on how the company represents itself to its customers and other constituencies. So if you really wanted to deal with even the call center, you had to understand what was working and what what wasn't working in the rest of the company. And most of what doesn't work 
is people go into their own heads. They think that this thought that I am having right now is the right thing. It's what works. Everybody should see it. But that's not how humans are. We all have different views. Sometimes when we share them, we make a mess in the middle. And these things need to be teased apart, explored carefully, and to create the bonds of relationship that let people work together. So I don't necessarily show up at a company and say, hi, I'm here to work on your conflict. I think that would make people very tense. <laughs> it feels simultaneously too aggressive and too intimate in a way. But looking at what are the problems or issues and then just trying to figure out what is it that's going on, who needs to be involved, what do we actually need to do, and little by little, I help them, we work together, we figure it out. <laughs> Interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, just to follow up on the question uh, on what you said in terms of, you know, your work at the call center uh, and the fact that, you know, everything that is wrong in an organization actually ends up in a call center. I think that's a great observation and something that every entrepreneur should know. I mean, call center is just a metaphor. Customer service uh, reps uh, are the ones who continue to get everything that is wrong with the organization to land on their table. So yes. I know a lot of customers, uh, a lot of my audience uh, never even think of sitting and handling calls or customer service requests from uh, their customers. And I yes. constantly tell them that, you know, if you really want to know what your customers think and feel, and if you really want to understand what areas of your business, uh, if you work on, can have a significant impact on your business, you should actually sit and work on, a, on uh, your customer with your customer service team at least at least once a uh, you know once in two weeks uh, even if it is for just two hours or three hours uh, uh, sit with them ask them is there are there any consistent uh, themes uh, that are uh, occurring yes. are there uh, you know issues that come up repeatedly and those are probably areas where uh, you can look at uh, identifying either the next product idea or uh, even uh, you know business model innovation everything can happen right from there Yes, because, so I agree with you 100%, those are your customers. And if you're not from time to time, and, and that's taking phone calls, and it's answering emails, and doing chats, and social media, whatever the different ways your customers contact you, if you have any kind of retail operation, or even some of my clients, you know, they're primarily online or call center, but people will show up at the warehouse because they see that the name is on the building. And so people walk in. Any way that humans can get to your business, you need to understand what that is. If you just hear about it, you're hearing the concept that somebody cleaned up for you. True. There is nothing like hearing a truly unhappy or a truly happy customer. <laughs> it reminds me of one of my experiences. Uh, uh, I was working for SAP. I mean, I still work for SAP, but this was about yeah. a few years back. I remember five years back, I had taken up this new role 
and uh, uh, was responsible for addressing, uh, you know, uh, uh, being the liaison for the user group, which means that, you know, you I day in, day out work with the customers. And I was at this event and we had a small stall, uh, about 500 people in the room. And there was this lady who barged in looking for, okay, where is this person? And I said, okay, I'm here. I raised my hand and she just walked in and she just started. I mean, she just started yelling, giving names and, you know, for nonstop for 20 minutes, she just went on and on and on and on and on. And the entire hall, you could see that, you know, it is pin drop silence. Everyone stopped doing what they were doing. No one moved. Everyone was looking at that lady and me right there in the middle of an uh, event uh, with 500 people in the room. And uh, 20 minutes, she completely ran out of steam. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, uh, you know, I started asking, okay, which company do you represent? You know, what is the problem? And, and then she started off again. Another for 10 to 12 minutes. And I was like, okay, I just didn't interrupt. I just heard her out. And after about 40 minutes of this conversation, one-sided conversation with the entire public listening in, uh, you know, she said, this is the first time someone has actually listened to me complete the entire story that I have to say. Yeah. And today, she is one of the biggest promoters of what we do in her community. She has, in yeah. fact, become the leader of the community of people in her city and has become the leading advocate for, uh, for my company in that community. And that transformation happened because... And it's not as if, you know, I wanted to listen. It's just that yeah. she didn't give me an opportunity to speak at all. But having done that, I think after that, what follows after that, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong and try to address what I could, trying to tell her that, you know, these are certain things which can't be addressed at this level. So that communication actually turned her or flipped her around. And today she's become a great advocate for my company. Yes. So let's look at some of the things that happened in that circumstance. I'm particularly struck by your saying that everyone was quiet because everybody is afraid. They weren't quiet because they were trying to help you. They were afraid. They were terrified. They're, what's going to happen? So we all have that. But we also have what this woman had, which is the need to be fully heard. And in business, we don't think that way. We think it's supposed to be quick and sound bites and get your point across and everybody knows just what they want to say and it's sharp. And then it's done. And that's clearly not true. Even after she relieved herself for 20 minutes, there it was again. And until she got through it and she knew you cared enough to hear it and you took it and then you were willing to work with her anyway, and that's part of what we miss in the franticness, the overload of the regular business day. We don't hear each other out. So what people are dealing with is the surface of things and misperceptions of what the other meant. So you see why we're in a mess all the time. <laughs> it may have taken 40 minutes but look what you got from it. 
Now, everything won't be that dramatic, of course, <laughs> right? Yeah. But knowing, knowing what is really true for customers, knowing what is really true for employees, if you are the manager, what's really true, not just the little bit they tell you or the little bit you don't even really want to know, but you know you have to hear this much and then you go back to your papers. No, it's knowing the whole thing so that you can work with what the real truth is. It's very important. And, and we don't make time for it, and we're afraid of it. Yeah. So, I, in fact, um, um, I was just talking to one of my, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, passengers in an aircraft, uh, uh, and he said something which was very interesting, you know. What he said was that, you know, every one of us lives in a world of our own. Uh, yes. And we believe that, you know, everyone else is also part yes. of the same world. Unfortunately, yes. that's not true. And which is where, you know, um, you think you're saying something, uh, you're meaning something. The other person is also thinking that they're saying something and meaning something. And you're talking to different languages and you're existing in two different worlds. Yes. And uh, I think that probably becomes the biggest, uh, uh, you know, impediment in uh, interpersonal relationships or working together. And any team that uh, is able to work together despite living in those two different worlds, I think are the teams which do really, really well. So is that understanding uh, right based on your experience as well? So I'm going to agree and I'm going to disagree. And let me give you the disagreement first. If we all lived in the same world, if everybody lived in your head, it would actually be very boring. <laughs> we would, the whole world would only be what you can think of. So what's fantastic is we do think differently and we have different perceptions. I, and you can take any schematic of personality or human nature or whatever you want. So take um, uh, Myers-Briggs, for example, which is one of the very common ones. I actually like uh, the Kiersey temperament sorter better. It's a, a, a sort of similar take any of these things. So according to these things, I'm pretty introverted and I think all the time and I kind of live in my head to a great extent. My husband is very different. I mean, he's also kind of introverted, but he's dealing with what's in the real world. This is good. If we were out in the world, I would walk off a cliff. He would grab me back. Perfect. We need all the gifts, all the skills that everybody has. So that's where I disagree. But where I agree completely, we don't think about that. We don't think about everybody has something of value to offer, even if it challenges what I think. There's nothing wrong with giving up what I think. If that other thing it works better, if it's more useful, let's do that. And then we can look at what I have to contribute. So you're completely right. We hear our own thoughts. We think, what's the matter with that guy? Everybody can see what I see because it's the only thing I see. Until we calm down enough to say, oh, what does that guy think? How do we put it together? Yes. Yes. Interesting. I, so, so that um, very uh, easily segues into uh, the kind of conversation that we wanted to have today, which is around, you know, uh, uh, 
what is why conflicts exist in an organization how do you deal with it and why it is also so i also read an interesting post that you had written for um, uh, on your blog which is about you know why it is uh, not a great idea to have uh, an organization where there are no conflicts so of course you know group think and all those things come up as well so let's start right. at the start right so uh, we we discussed uh, that you know as human beings you know if you have more human beings more than one human being in the room there are uh, you know potential uh, conflict uh, uh, areas that open up automatically so the question then arises is uh, is there something that we can do uh, to number one be cognizant of the fact that there are cog- there are potential conflicts lurking even in seemingly normal good relationships so is there something that uh, you have which uh, or a tip or some observation that if i see in someone uh, and i should be you know uh, i should probably be aware of that okay there seems to be something uh missing and we are just touching the surface we need to go deeper so how do i identify that you know that is a requirement in a relationship so the funniest thing is you know it doesn't even take two people haven't you ever had an argument with yourself oh all the time <laughs> right so some of the things that play out in business you know people are at loggerheads and they can't make a mutual decision and then they can't get anything done we do that to ourselves also um so one of the most useful things exactly to your point is to recognize that there are always more approaches than the one you're thinking of and one of the best things you could do anytime any day that you're with somebody else is just to say what do you think and then shut up and listen and not what do you think oh yes you're starting to think something but here's what i think about what you think but to actually like that woman in that exhibit hall let people tell you what they think so if you are the leader if you're the entrepreneur founder don't give your opinion first because as soon as you speak they're thinking oh my god I disagree. Is it safe to tell her? Or I agree, so let me agree and then he'll be happy. They're thinking about how to please you, how not to upset you. They're not thinking their real thought that is, oh, you know, there's a cliff over there. We shouldn't walk off the edge. That kind of thing. So the first thing is, yes, I know other people have other thoughts. I want to hear them and I'm going to hold myself still and listen. But so that's so difficult. I mean uh, <laughs> and and how do you master that? So that's a so see everyone says that you know you should listen. Everyone says that you know uh, you should improve your listening skills. If that is if there is one skill uh, if you if you improve which will have significant impact in your life irrespective of what you do whether you're an entrepreneur employee leader uh, student it is to l- ability to listen well and the second probably the most quoted one is the ability to empathize with someone uh, you are uh, interacting with and i have realized that you know nobody talks about you know how do you you know develop that skill i mean yes so it's it's so tough so are there any tips tricks that you've seen work well uh, uh, which people can use to build this 
muscle so i i believe yes. that you know these are muscles which with with practice can be built but are there yes. any tips and tricks that you can share which will help us build these muscles yes um probably too many for right now but let me start with to listen you have to have a certain amount of self management because of course we want to tell we want to talk we want to put our thoughts out into the world most of us and so to listen we have to self manage and that means we have to learn how to be quiet so there's a huge amount of work now that goes in many d- different directions about the value of mindfulness and whether that goes to mindfulness meditation or just a kind of thoughtfulness one of the best things to do if you need to listen and don't feel like it is to actually check your body where are you tense in your body because if you're very tense it's hard to listen so you have to think okay is it in my chest let me breathe is it in my neck let me stretch a little you know um something that's very very helpful strangely helpful is to have both feet on the floor even when you're sitting and to feel i'm connected to the ground in some way and to relax and compose yourself so that you can be open and receptive if you're like this it's very hard to let things in and it helps to expand it helps to look at where the source of the sound is coming from one of the problems with the kind of thing we're doing right this minute is a lot of us we listen to podcasts or to videos not looking we're doing something else at the same time so focus and concentration and attention and being still and they're so hard they take real practice interesting so i think some of the points that you talk about uh, uh, makes a lot of sense uh, i speci- especially like the fact that you know having both the feet on the ground uh, now that you mention it i uh, i know for a matter of fact that you know uh, times when i'm interested in listening to someone uh, i realize that i either i'm standing or i am sitting with uh, both my feet on the ground both my hands on my knees and looking at the person that i'm talking to those are the times when number one i feel like i'm listening to someone and yes. the other person also feels that you know i'm giving them their full attention yes in olden times it was a mark of respect to be very still and to have correct posture and all we've lost <laughs> so much of that and and now we think you know the I won't call it the cool thing we're past that but the necessary thing is to be able to do 12 things at once which completely ruins almost everything so the other thing that I wanted to on the same topic is you know uh, uh, the fact that um, as entrepreneurs uh, people feel that you know they are all the time busy there are 10 things yes. to be done and they don't yes. want to be spending too much time on a certain topic no if they don't want to hear someone vent and you know they don't even want to have the opportunity for someone to 
went because they know that you know there are 10 other things that are piling up so given yes. that's the reality of life for entrepreneurs so is there any structure is there any uh, you know uh, anything that you can think of which can actually enforce this discipline for entrepreneurs to actually listen to people in their organization uh, uh, that has worked for some of your clients you know there are sayings about we'll take the time to fix the mistake or to do it over but not necessarily the time to make sure we get it right so i think often if you look back as an entrepreneur in the history of where did things go wrong and you see where you could have slowed down a little bit where if you had slept more if you had driven more carefully if all the the careful things what are the things that wouldn't have happened and sometimes you have to be in a rush of course it's perfectly true but whether you take the 80/20 rule or anything else if you try to have most of your time in care in careful attention and then rush when it's really an emergency having said that that will feel impossible to most people so i would say 5 minutes 5 minutes pick somebody this is the person today that i'm going to fully listen to just pick one thing you talked about building the muscle strength that's true for every single thing so don't worry about your overwhelming life take one interaction and i would say as important as the business is i'd say do it at home first because you know that's where you have to be able to get along no matter what so start there they love you anyway and if you screw up you'll get more forgiveness practice on them and then tell people i'm trying to listen more help me i'm going to try you know it's hard for me i have to do these six other things but while we're having this conversation if you can tell that my mind is wandering just say liz liz and i'll realize i'm not paying enough attention and you bring it right back so you can have your people help you do the practice that actually helps the business better in the long run wow that's such great advice uh, and uh, if i may add one other thing to what you just yeah. said um, uh, is that you know uh, pick one person from a different team facing a customer every day so 5 minutes of time or 10 minutes of time on your calendar every day with someone uh, in a different team every day and that will give you number one not only the ability or the practice to listen but also give you a sense of what is happening in your organization in all your customer facing organizations because typically that is where problems start and creep up right whether it is in sales whether it is service whether it is marketing and if you can figure out the problems right at that level then you can work backwards so you are doing two things at the same time which is number one building your muscle and number two working on the business itself which also makes sure that you know you will ensure that you will take that time and do those 10 15 minutes or 5 minutes of listening uh, rigorously and consistently so does that uh, gonna, yes i'm going to give you an additional benefit that you get for those 5 minutes your employees or your colleagues 
will come to trust you more and pay more attention to you. Because listening is a gift to other people as much as it is a source of data and reflection for yourself. So then they're more willing to hear your point of view. They will share crucial information that otherwise they might think, oh, he's not listening. Why, why should I bother? It's a virtuous cycle. It's good for everybody. Yeah. Interesting. Five minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the model that you have. So I know that you have a five-step process that uh, you use uh, to, uh, you know, uh, help organizations uh, uh, resolve conflict. So if I can ask you to maybe, you know, quickly take us through those five steps, and we can then uh, move uh, and you know dive deeper into whatever uh, uh, comes next. Okay. So we can talk about the five steps, but at any point, just interrupt me because sure. the truth is we could do it in three steps. We could do it in nine steps. It's the same content all the time. Okay. So, and I, I'm going to give it to you in a slightly different sequence from the way you think about it. The first thing is the asking of questions and asking the right people and getting the information that you can't know in your own head, even though you have an opinion about why the conflict is happening. We all go into a situation that we know of as a problem. We already have a view. We have assumptions. We may even have a potential diagnosis. We have a lot of noise in our heads. We have to go outside and ask others and look at data. That's crucial. Second thing that is absolutely crucial, we have to identify, and this is very hard to do, if there actually is a single person who is the source of the problem and then work with that person. Because if there is a single person and we don't address them, no matter how many systems and structures and rewards and all other kinds of things we put in place, that person just creates the problem over and over again because no one's working with them. Having said that, the other half, the flip side of that, is even when you have a person, there are always structures or habits in the organization that are holding the conflict or the problem in place that you're not even aware of until you ask all these questions, okay? So once you've got a lot of information and you've identified what's really happening, who's contributing to it, what's old historical garbage that you can't believe still has an impact, but it's there, you have to look at a variety of different things. I'm going to give you one that you may not expect on the way. This goes back to the things we've been talking about in our conversation today, and that is creating safety for everyone who needs to participate so that they can tell you what's happening as you work through. You could be a genius, you could know exactly what needs to be done, but if other people feel that they are at risk, you have almost nothing, you only have yourself. And that's really crucial 
because you have to find ways to get everybody on the same page, to align them around the ideas, the experiments, the practices that you or the group believe will work better. And alignment doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with you on every point. They have to understand what you're talking about, and then they have to commit that they're going to work in this way with you, even though it may not have been their original view. Then everybody needs to take action together because that's the implementation or execution plan. And we all know, no matter how good your strategies are and your goals and whatever, if everybody doesn't work in concert, it will fall apart. To be able to do all these things, you need techniques from all over. Some of them are for self-management, like we talked about. Some of them are specific communication techniques that help people hear each other better and communicate better. And you keep iterating over and over. What's really going on? Who do I have to ask? What are the underlying structures? Who are the people who are having problems? Can we come to terms about what we're going to work on over and over and over? Interesting. So two questions uh, as a follow-up to that. Uh, first one yeah. uh, is uh, uh, the first uh, 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 thing is that, you know, you said uh, how do you, uh, you have to identify if there is a singular person who is causing the issue. So... I know for a matter of fact that you know, everyone in the organization knows who that singular person is. But nobody wants yes. to talk about or nobody wants to point yes. that person out. So yes. in that case, uh, as an, so except the entrepreneur, everyone else knows, mostly. And in some cases, even the entrepreneurs themselves know. Right? They do, often, often. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, what would you suggest there? I mean, is it, uh, is it better to, you know... Uh, weed them out of the organization? Is it better to coach them, uh, talk to them, and figure out what seems to be the problem, why they are the problem makers? So what would be your suggestion in terms of how do you handle that singular person who's creating uh, uh, or who's probably the source at all the conflicts in your organization? So if I'm the entrepreneur, the first thing I have to recognize, this will sound strange, is I'm the problem. Whether it's because I hired that person, or I didn't deal with that person, or I didn't explain something and that person had a false belief, while I'm finally getting ready, I have to look at what is my responsibility in this. Because if I can't be candid with myself, something's going to go wrong in my implementation. The hardest thing is always, it always comes back to the self. Okay, once we've said that, these things are so tough, and particularly for entrepreneurs who many times, it's their best friend, it's their relative, the other employees <laughs> are thinking, oh my God, how do we tell him, what are we going to do, right? This is what happens. True. Yeah, very, very painful. Sometimes this other person is a problem because they were a problem from the first day and their behavior was permitted to go unchecked. 
sometimes they became a problem because of the way we treated them and then didn't handle it. Either way, unless they are a truly bad person, and I mean seriously evil, destructive person, and that is extremely rare, it's most likely that they have bad or disagreeable behavior because it seems like the best thing to them to do in the circumstance. It's the way they handle the difficult problem. So we have to start by working with them. You can't just throw people out. Not only then do you have a gap in your organization or there's someone who doesn't have that skill, but it says to everybody else, if the day comes that the leader doesn't like me, she's going to throw me out. That's terrible for everybody, lack of safety. So the first thing is always to see, can we repair this? This is the such tough work. The advantage to it being a business or even a nonprofit organization, when you are paying people, you are paying for their expertise, you are paying for their experience, and you're also paying for their good behavior. And if you can't coach or counsel them into better performance and behavior, it is legitimate to tell them they can't stay in the business. So that is a legitimate course of action. It's not the first one I would take. But the worst, the worst, is when you start working on somebody who has been a problem and everybody knows is the problem and you get frustrated and you say, oh, I can't deal with this. Joe, you deal with this person. And suddenly Joe thinks, me? You know, and has to start over and et cetera. The entrepreneur has to be willing at some point to come to terms with a problem in her organization. Very true, very true. Uh, if, if you don't own the problem, then, you, I mean, you own the business, so you own everything that comes along with it. Yes, <laughs> yes. And even when it's huge and you go public and you make a gazillion bucks, if you know there is a problem, you may work on it through other people. But every problem there is yours. I didn't want that kind of problem that's why I stayed very, very small. <laughs> Self-management is hard enough. <laughs> True. So the second point that I wanted to talk about in the entire process, I mean, I personally believe that you know, if we take care of these two, um, the rest is uh, slightly easier because these two probably are the most trickiest, is around organizational structures and behaviors. Uh, organizational yeah. habits, I would say. So how does one find out if we have a structure which is uh, either... Uh, you know, uh, enabling uh, conflicts to arise or is allowing conflicts to stay as conflicts under the radar. So how yes. do you identify that? And once yes. you identify that, I mean, it's easier to address that, but identification... Theoretically. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, if you can't even identify, there is no way you can solve it. So the first step yes. first, which is to, how do you identify that? Yes. So structures always happen because there was pattern. One time doesn't make a structure. If you think of structures as coral, as stalactites and stalagmites, they build up over time. They are the detritus of culture 
They are behaviors over and over. So look for things that have happened repetitively, the things that go wrong multiple times. When people say to you, it's always a problem when, then ask why and how and how and why and what, you know, depending on the circumstance, sometimes it's more how and sometimes it's more why, but get back as far as you can to where did this start. Interesting. So uh, I think uh, these, um, uh, uh, once we identify the root uh, uh, root cause, as, as you say, as you know, why uh, a particular problem keeps repeating, uh, I think it's slightly easier to then uh, go back and address uh, uh, those problems. So I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit uh, uh, here and uh, talk about the uh, fact that, you know, uh, you, you talk about uh, uh, the fact that uh, Conflict-free environment is also not a great uh, place to be in. So, when are conflicts uh, constructive, and why is it that you know you should avoid build, building a culture where there is no conflict? So, conflicts are destructive when people get hurt, when people behave badly, but they are constructive if they make us think new thoughts and accomplish better things than we could have if we all thought the same way. So the difference between a good conflict and a bad conflict is really our behavior. That's it. So simple, so challenging. Terrible, terrible. We're all bad at it. And, you know, uh, if you're not having problems, you're dead. Because as long as you're alive, something is challenging you and usually with other people. Um, If there is no observable conflict, it is often because people are afraid to raise necessary truths. If it could be that because, as you said, we've identified root cause and now we're working on something, so we're excited and it feels positive. So for a little while, it may feel like there's no conflict. But if there appears to be no conflict at all over a period of time, significant period of time, you have to assume there's either groupthink or some kind of painful enforcement that it's not acceptable to bring bring up problems about that person or about that issue. Interesting. So if uh, so, what I understand from what you're saying is that you know, uh, if you have a group of people. Uh, and there is no conflict, there can be only two reasons. Either there is conflict and nobody wants to bring talk about it, or uh, you are uh, in a group of people and living in a bubble uh, which uh, which can burst any time, and that creates a much significant problem at a later point in time. Yeah, so both beware of those of both. are true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's interesting. So I think we are nearing the time that uh, we've got. So I'll just again shift the conversation a little bit to some of the questions that I always ask all our guests uh, so that, you know, uh, gives a certain uh, level of uh, uh, understanding for my and uh, how do I put it? Comfort to my audience as well. Uh, This is something that they like to hear from all entrepreneurs, all uh, our guests. Number one is, is there a piece of uh, art, documentary, a film, a book or whatever uh, which has had a significant impact on positive impact on you and the way uh, uh, you work uh, uh, and uh, can you share that with us and why and what kind of impact did it have on you 
So I'm going to talk about two books then, I think, that have been so useful to me in my practice. And um, one of them is called It's Hard to Make a Difference if You Can't Find Your Keys. Everybody can get that right away. Uh, It's by a woman named Marilyn Paul, and it really talks about the mechanics of behavior change. It's an organization book. It's how you can get organized, but it is the most thoughtful one I've ever read. It's about what's in your way, what gets you stuck, what are the patterns, exactly the kinds of things we've been talking about. And it was very helpful to me in thinking about how to diagnose. The other book that I love and I recommend very widely is called The Art of Possibility. Oh, I love the book. Benjamin Zanders and uh, uh, that's the book. And Rosamund Zander. Now, you should know, Rosamund Zander is the primary author. She is a a psychologist, and she works on behavior change in organizations, and I don't think she has private practice anymore. And at one point, she was married to Benjamin Zander, who is uh, an orchestra conductor. And I'm sure you and probably many people have seen his fabulous TED Talk. And this book creates hope for change. It shows how not only it's possible, but we all can be inspired to make it. It is not something that belongs to other people. It belongs to us, too. And that combination of books is fantastic. Oh, I love the book uh, uh, you bring about. uh, In fact, uh, uh, everywhere I go, I talk about rule number six, uh, which uh, they talk about in the book. Every time I mention rule number six, everyone is like, okay, so what is rule number six? And I say, okay, so don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. And they're like, oh, yeah, makes sense. So what are the other rules? And I said, there are no other rules. And they're like, what? Yes. You have a rule number six and there's no rule number one to five? And I said, yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, that one statement and the other thing in that book that I really love is it's all invented. Yeah. And that chapter is like outstandingly great. My favorite from that, how fantastic when something goes wrong. And I do this. One client actually talked to me about this recently. Someone can say the most terrible thing. And my automatic reaction, if you do this all the time, people think you're a little nuts, actually. But I say, that's excellent or very good. And that becomes the bridge then to how do we take it apart and look at it so we can work with it. But the first thing is to say, thank you for giving me that. Yes, Interesting. I love that book. <laughs> so uh, the next question that I have is, uh, uh, one of the things that I have seen uh, people do, uh, or find it difficult to do rather, is to change their beliefs about something. And uh, this is something that I ask, uh, now have the habit of asking all my guests, is I don't know, have you changed your belief about something uh, recently? If yes, what? uh, And why did you change your belief? Yeah. So you talked at the very beginning of our conversation about Dory Clark. So I always, always, I've had my practice a long time. It was 30 years in December. I always felt that if I did excellent work, 
uh, you know, build a better mousetrap and the world will be the path to your door, is, is the saying. That all I needed to do was to do excellent work. And I had to change my belief. It's not true. You also have to make yourself accessible and well-recognized so that other people in today's world can actually find you. And I used to be very, actually, I'm still uncomfortable about that, but I agree that it's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, her uh, uh, concept of, uh, you know, consistent content creation in a way that actually builds thought leadership and gives you exposure, I think is something that every entrepreneur should uh, know and understand as well. Because, you know, if you really want to do well in an all, always online world, you need to be present where people are, which is online. So you need to pre- create content online in some form or factor. It can be audio, it can be video, it can be text, it can be uh, bite-sized uh, uh, messages on Twitter or uh, you know uh, videos that vanish on uh, uh, Snapchat. But in some form or factor, you have to be seen uh, in order yes. to be taken seriously. And one of Dory's other points that is so crucial is the concept of social proof, which is why, for example, I now write for Harvard Business Review and I did the TEDx because you have to be not just out there, but out there in a way that is well accepted. True. So the next question that I have uh, uh, for you is, uh, uh, you know, the show is called Pushing Beyond the Obvious, right? So what is so obvious to you, which people miss all the time? Everybody has something to contribute. People that you can't stand have something useful to add if you can get it from them and take it in the right way. Wow, that's powerful. So I think we'll end that conversation with that uh, uh, thought. Uh, uh, a great way to end the conversation. So thanks a lot for taking time and uh, uh, talking to us today. It's been a pleasure, Mukesh. <laughs> Thank you so much. So where can people uh, find you and the work uh, uh, that you do? So uh, my website is liskislik.com. That's L-I-Z-K-I-S-L-I-K.com. And I'm sure uh, I'll send you links or you'll put them up. Um, I have an ebook that folks can get on the website that is about dealing with the interpersonal parts of conflict. Um, there's a TEDx that people can see if they want more on this. So I'll link my all blog. of that up. Yeah, so I'll link okay, all so that up in the show notes for sure. Plenty of ways there. <laughs> so thanks a lot for taking time and talking to us today. Thanks so much, Mukesh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pushing Beyond the Obvious. If you like the show and would like to support, please head over to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this show and rate us and write a review. Till next time, have fun.